We are in a series. That series is Romans 8. We've said this many times that there are several folks who believe this is the greatest chapter in the Bible. Don't know that you can put a title on any single chapter like that, but it goes to show you that there are lots of folks out there that have been impacted to a great deal. Um, all over, theologians from uh, every era of, of, uh, of church history, by the way, have similar thoughts on this particular chapter. And why is that? It's because the truths that are presented to us in this chapter are profound. And just to remind us as we've been going along, it begins with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. It says that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, and the chapter unfolds and unpacks why that is true and even how that is true from a spiritual perspective. The outlook of the flesh is death, but the outlook of the spirit is life and peace. A debt of duty is going to be a burden for us, but a debt of privilege will be a blessing. Fear will drive us, but love will compel us. And then last week we looked and said we can either wait in despair or we can wait in hope. These are all just some of the truths, practical truths in life that are a result of what are the deep uh, spiritual truths um, they've given us there. We gave you a way to outline the chapter, which I won't uh, draw your attention to, um, but just one last thing. They'll probably put the quote up on the back, but Leon Morris reminds us that one feature of this chapter that we've got to remember is there's not a single imperative there's not a single command that comes to us. Um, there is an implicit command um, to embrace this, to rest in this, etc. But there's no specific command that's given in the Scripture. It is just God saying, this is what is true, and I want you to hear what it is that I have done on your behalf. Now today, we're going to arrive at verses 26 and 27. Keep in mind, verses are man-made meaning that the numbers themselves are man-made. That was not a part of the original writings from Paul and other authors. They wrote letters to people. And so someone came along and gave us a useful tool in, in providing some numbers that helps us to study the Bible. Verses 26 and 27 are some of the most cherished verses in all of the Scripture for those who are struggling and knowing what to do. Now, I think I can make this statement in a general sense. We all hate not knowing, at least dislike it. When we don't know, there is a certain level of discomfort that comes to us. And that can be true in a variety of areas of life. You show up on your first day of work. You don't know where to go or what to do. You don't know where certain things are, where the workroom is, etc. That's why we have most uh, organizations have some type of way to bring employees in and give them a day or two just to learn. You onboard people with some of the most basic things about your organization. None of us like not knowing. It could be true in a classroom. Maybe you have studied really hard for a particular test coming up. It may be your favorite subject, your less, least favorite subject. And for whatever it is in that moment, you just sort of forget what it is that you tried to put into your mind. You panic for just a moment. We hate not knowing what to do as a new and a new role in our life. What does it mean to be a new wife or a new husband or a new parent? I remember the, literally the day that we brought the, the twins uh, home. Uh, we surprised our folk, my folks in uh, Macon. Um, and so we left the hospital. They were being taken care of in the hospital. We got to take them from there. 
and, and, and then we showed up at night, and we laid in bed. Twins are there in the little crib that we bought on the way down to go get them. And both of us just stared at the ceiling. And probably for an hour, we said, well, now what? And as a new parents, um, you know, is that I'm listening. Are they breathing? Are they not? Uh, how much, uh, what should the temperature be in the house? How much of a blanket should we have on? Just didn't know anything. The only thing I re really remembered was the, the nurses and the things. That they love having their arms tied to them really tight. And so they showed us how to do that little swaddle thing and you pull the blanket. And I got that thing so cinched around them that I think I may have actually cut off some circulation in the process. We don't, we don't like not knowing. We like having information at our disposal. Even if we're not particularly good at putting it into practice, we like having the information at our disposal, whatever aspect of life it is. Can I ask you this? In your spiritual pilgrimage, do you know everything there is to know about this Christian life? How comfortable, or let me ask it this way, how uncomfortable are you at times in your spiritual pilgrimage? There are some days in which I feel really, really comfortable at what I'm doing. In other words, there's things that have occurred before, and I feel really good about this. Uh, go back to the kids' example again. I thought that once my kids hit the teenage years, I would be at the most comfortable I would ever be as a parent. <laughs> And the reason I thought that was I had 21 years of youth ministry experience. And I thought, man, I can't wait to hit that stage. It's going to be a breeze. And then they hit that stage, and I realized that my teenagers are not like other teenagers. In fact, no teenagers like any other teenager. No two human beings are, are exactly similar. And so when my kids hit that stage, I did exactly what every other parent who has ever gone before me did. And I went, who are you? I have no idea what's going on. What happened to my sweet, precious eight-year-old? It's been worth every moment. But I just don't like not knowing what to do as a parent. So sometimes I feel really comfortable because of information that's come before, because of experience, etc. But it seems as though God continues to put me in positions and places in which may, uh, my past experience may shed some light on it, but it doesn't give me the exact roadmap that's needed. And on one level, I get really frustrated with God from that. And on another level, I really do hit my knees and say, God, thanks. Thanks for putting me in a posture in which I really do have to lean on you. I have to rely upon you. Have you ever not known what to do next in your spiritual pilgrimage? This is what Romans Chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 are telling us. If you're physically capable, would you stand as I read just these two verses from Romans? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You may be seated. We don't like not knowing, but I assure you the Spirit knows. And so if you want to take comfort and rest in something, take comfort and rest in this. The Spirit knows 
He knows everything that is of any kind of value of, of information. Now, because God is the creator of everything that is in existence, the Spirit understands quantum physics. I don't think that's going to be particularly helpful for you today, unless this is your field of choice. The Spirit knows everything there is to know about anything that has ever been in existence. We don't know. The Spirit knows. This specifically, though, starts out, likewise, the Spirit helps. Now, when he says likewise, what is he going back to and comparing this to? I don't want to spend a tremendous amount of time talking about all of the possibilities. I'd rather just cut to the chase and say, I think he's referring back to the chapter as a whole, but also very specifically something he's referring to in here. So the chapter as a whole is what is the Spirit's role in our life as it pertains to preserving us, presenting us, getting us from uh, that place of immaturity to maturity until we finally be glorified with Christ in heaven. So in other words, the Spirit's role in our life is from A to Z in all of our spiritual development. So in some ways, when he's saying likewise, he's showing us here's another way that the Spirit helps grow and mature us. But I think specifically what he's referring to in here are some of these things that are going on inside of us. He talked about the creation that was groaning. And he talked about us that were groaning. And now he's going to talk to us likewise in the same kind of way. The Spirit helps. Now, what does he help us with? He helps us with all things. He helps us to resist temptation. He helps us to pursue righteousness. He helps us to, to, to do all the things that are needed and necessary in life to fulfill the roles that we have that he's given us in life. So in a general sense, he helps I'm there. But here specifically in Romans 8, these two verses, I think what he's going to hone in on, he lets, he, he lets us know specifically, he's going to help us in prayer. When was the last time that you came upon a situation um, in which you may have had all the information that was needed, but you were incapable of getting the result that you wanted? Say it this way. You have a, uh, a dear friend. And that dear friend has taken offense to something that has happened recently in your relationship. And let's say it's actually a misunderstanding, that it is something that you did say, but it was not uh, the way that this individual took it was not the way that you intended it. And so there's been this riff, and you didn't know it at the time when you said it, and they didn't speak up at the time, and so a little bit of time has passed, and, but you just know there's something going on. They're not responding to you in the same way. It's a little awkward when you're around them. And you finally um, ask them the direct question. You say, hey, what, what's going on? Because I think something is between us right now. And they go back to that incident right there. And you know all that's necessary is to clarify your intent of that statement. And so you do your best to bring clarity to that statement. And they hear you and they acknowledge you but they still have this offense inside of them. It still is so wounding. It's to, perhaps they don't believe you. Perhaps uh, they need more time, whatever it is. But you, you've, you've done what you're supposed to. You've given the right information. You've clarified, but you haven't gotten the result that you want. In other words, it hasn't removed their pain. It hasn't restored the depth of fellowship that you're longing for. Do you need help? 
Do you need help in marriage? Do you need help in parenting those relationships? Maybe you've followed all the right steps. You've done the right things. The information that you've had, that you've done the things that you're supposed to do, and you're looking for the result that at least some will guarantee that's going to happen if you just do the right things. You need help. And when you have humbled yourself, you've given everything you know to give, you've offered forgiveness when forgiveness has been, been uh, uh, needed, or, or you've offered explanation when, it, when it's needed, and yet it still hasn't solved, it still hasn't fixed, it still hasn't brought together what it is that you're longing for. Here's what Romans tells us. You probably are at a place in life where you're not even sure what it is that you should be praying right now. Do you pray for them to change? Do you pray for you to change? Do you pray for circumstances to change? What is it that I'm even supposed to be praying for right now? Let me take it out of the relational difficulty realm and put it into another one. Some of us um, have uh, aging grandparents, parents, etc. in life. And as their health continues to to decline, it's not what it was 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. There's something inside of you. You know that you, you love them. You, you want to be around them. You know that their wisdom has been incredibly beneficial for uh, you in life. But now how do you pray? Do you pray that the Lord will keep them around so that you and your children and others can benefit and be blessed, etc.? Do you say, Lord, take your servants into your presence now. What's the best thing for your family? What's the best thing for you? What's the best thing for them? There's an argument you can make on all realms. And so how do you pray? There are so many aspects of our life that come to, we get to a point in life in which we just don't know. But the Spirit knows. And what Romans tells us is that the Spirit is actually going to help you in the process. Years ago, I was um, privileged to hear a, a man who uh, had a climbing accident. Um, he uh, broke his back. He lives in chronic pain um, every day. Sometimes in, even when driving down the road, um, you would have to just pull off on the side of the road just so that he could vomit from the, from the pain that would come or he would figured out a way how to make himself pass out um, and their medication was helpful and good, but um, it, it is what it is with his, with his back. He made a statement that has had a profound impact on my thinking. And he went to um, uh, the, the story of um, the Israelites as they were being brought out of Egypt and they had to go through the journey and the remember God brings them right to this certain location and God actually changed the route um, in which they were supposed to go. So what would have taken them a very quick amount of time took them just a tad bit longer. So they get right to this spot. The people, Moses is there. And in front of them is a sea and to either side is terrain that would not be um, uh, easy to get across. And then behind them is the most powerful army on planet earth. And they're right exactly where God had led them. They didn't misunderstand. This wasn't a result of disobedience. This was a result of their obedience to the revealed will of God. And they get right there, and, and, and they have no other option. And this is what my friend said. He said, David, sometimes God increases our inadequacy 
in order to increase our dependency. Now, he's not actually increasing our real inadequacy. What he's doing is bringing us to a place where our eyes are opened and we're seeing the actuality of our inadequacy. Sometimes God increases our inadequacy in order to increase our dependency. See, sometimes in life, we get to a circumstance. We've done everything we know to do. We've been faithful. Uh, uh, we've stopped if we needed to stop. We've started if we needed to start. We've adjusted if we needed to adjust. And it still isn't producing what our soul and the depths of its longing for. And God's just saying, pray. And then I said, Lord, I'm not even sure I know how to pray. Here's what I'm not here to tell you today. Here are the four steps to knowing what to pray. What I'm here to tell you is what Romans 8, 26 and 27 says is this. The Spirit of God is going to help you. He helps us in our weakness. When we don't know what to pray, when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit himself is going to help you. Look at it again. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. And notice um, uh, with the how. With groanings too deep for words. The what is that he's going to, uh, to, to give us um, uh, a direction. So that how do we pray? The Spirit is praying with groanings. Now, what do these groanings specifically refer to? Uh, again, I won't give you all the options that are possible out there. I would rather cut to the chase. I think that the groanings here are the Spirit's groanings also with our groanings. Our groanings are oftentimes out of misinformation or lack of information, etc. The Spirit's groanings are the groanings of His love for us and for God. And there is a place sometimes in prayer in which the Spirit is, is interceding Inside of us, Christ is interceding on behalf of us in the presence of God. The, the, the Holy Spirit is interceding inside of us, giving us words. And sometimes those words that we have are so deep that we don't even have a language fully that can capture what's going on in our minds and our hearts. Please do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying that what this passage is teaching is that there is this gibberish that gets talked about and only God and the Holy Spirit understand it. That's not what this passage is saying. There's something that's going on so deep in our minds and our hearts, the longings that we have that we're not even sure how to go before God or what to say once we get to God. And the Holy Spirit with great compassion for us is interceding, moving, stirring, directing his love for God himself. The Holy Spirit is taking these desires. He's cleaning them up. He's presenting them before the Father. And so one perfectly reasonable thing for you to do when you get to a place in life where you don't know what to pray or how to pray is you fall on your knees and you say, and the Holy Spirit takes what's going on that you can't even identify. And because of his great love for the Father and his great love for you, he takes what's going on inside of you and brings it up to God. And Jesus, who is sitting next to God, takes that which the Holy Spirit has brought 
And, the, and then Jesus says, God, I'm asking this of you. Now, why would you not want to pray knowing that? Because what happens in life typically when we don't know, when we don't have the information, we typically feel a little bit stupid or worthless or insecure, whatever word you want to put in there. And oftentimes it prevents us from trying the very thing that we need to be doing. So that kid in elementary school walks in first week of, uh, of school, not knowing who anybody is in there, not having the confidence and security rather than doing probably what needs to happen over the long term, which is having conversations with as many kids as possible, introducing yourself. They typically go and just sit by themselves at a table. We do that in prayer. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know. I'm not as good as her or as him or, or et cetera. So I'm just not going to pray right now because I'm just not sure what to do. Holy Spirit says, don't do that. Pray. Come into my presence. Pour out your heart to me. If you want to use some words um, uh, that you're not sure how it all fits together, that's okay. Just start. Start talking to God. And the Holy Spirit's going to guide. He's going to lead. Now, are there some things that we can do on our end that will help? Yeah. Can I just give you two very quickly? Number one. Would you just on a regular basis talk to other people who you know have gifts in praying? Talk to them. Find out how it is that they pray. Learn from them. That's a good idea. We can learn from one another. Second thing is this. Learn to pray the scriptures. Pray what the Bible has already revealed God wants us to pray for. These are very practical things that I would encourage you to do. But it's not going to solve what I think this is pointing us to right here. And that sometimes we just don't know. And the worst thing we can do when we don't know is to get away from God. The best thing we can do is to get into his presence. Insecure, immature, just not knowing what we're doing. And the spirit will intercede with, with groanings. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That last phrase, this is where I start to wrap up. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> searches us. He intercedes on behalf of us. But then right there at the end, please catch that. Don't let that um, uh, uh, go by too quickly. He knows the will of God. I want to, as often as I can, pray what I know to be the revealed will of God. But as we've talked about in a couple of different ways, I don't always know when that applies to any given circumstance here on earth. The Holy Spirit knows the will of God. He knows the scriptures backwards and forwards. He's the one that is given the task of making sure that we even understand it. When we read it, he opens our eyes, he opens our hearts so that we can embrace it, etc. The Holy Spirit knows what the will of God is, not just in general terms, but also in very specific terms. The Holy Spirit knows exactly the right thing at exactly the right time 
for the exact right person. And so if you don't know how to pray for your child, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what your child needs at this exact moment in time. And so go to him. Now, it does not mean that he is going to reveal the the words for you to pray in that moment every time. Sometimes he may do it with just the groanings that, 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 that he's taking your groanings and his to the Father. But if we will develop the habit of entering into prayer and rather than approaching prayers, all right, so I've got 17 things on here. Nothing wrong with the prayer list. Nothing wrong with the order. I mean, do it. It's worth it. But rather than sometimes, you know, here, I got this sword and I forgot to bring you 14A uh, from last week uh, that we had to. For, please forgive me uh, for that, Lord. I want to get that in. And, uh, and I'm attaching this verse to that one, Lord. Except, rather than that, what if you just spent some time saying, Holy Spirit, would you guide me and lead me right now? Because I don't know what to pray. And then you'll wait and you listen. I'm confident that the more familiar we are with this book as a whole and the more time that we take to sit in the presence of God and say, God, Holy Spirit, guide me, lead me. I'm convinced he will use his word, the principles in his word on many times to bring to your mind how it is that you should be praying for those that you love. Even if you feel like a prayer toddler and you feel as though, I don't know, David, that I will ever figure this thing out. What this section of scripture does for us is it removes any awkwardness that we should feel. It it removes all excuses that we may have um, uh, for us to, to back away and to not engage in prayer. We don't like not knowing something, but the Spirit knows. I want to close with just a, um, a story. And um, there have been a number of times in our lives in which uh, we have not known um, exactly what to do or to, or to pray. And um, while I've got a ton of stories in my own personal life where I just don't think I got clarity from God, I want to just share just one. A dear friend of mine that I was working with in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, uh, before I was married, before I'd met Judith, um, a, a dear friend um, was a gentleman uh, that had made some serious mistakes in his life, and he had spent some time in prison. That's how I got to know him. I got to know him because he was on a work release program, and so he uh, would, uh, we would uh, do landscaping uh, together, construction um, uh, together, and I got a chance to meet this particular um, uh, individual. And uh, this guy became um, as dear to me as any other person that I, I had had a relationship with. When I say that we were different, different doesn't begin to describe um, uh, the vast distinction between us. If there is an opposite, you just think of it, and that's true of, our, of us. And I shared the good news with this man on a number of occasions, and he just never responded 
When he would respond verbally uh, to it, um, he would respond with a smile, a grin. He'd say, uh, David, um, I've done so many bad things, the Lord could never forgive me. And if he would forgive me, I'd question him. And so I kept coming back to, you know, here it is, it's a story, blah, blah, blah. Um, easily 15, 20 times um, I, I shared the gospel with this man. And each time he was gracious. We parted ways and I moved uh, to Atlanta to go do an internship. And I got a, a phone call from this man's wife while I was there doing the internship and said, uh, hey, uh, Charlie's in the hospital and uh, would, he would love to see you. And so I made my way back down and went to the hospital, went to go visit him. And once again, shared the gospel with him while he was in his hospital. Cancer had um, eaten him um, alive, and it was uh, very clear he was not going to be living uh, that much longer. And at the end of sharing that gospel uh, presentation, once again, a grin came onto his face. He says, you know, I could never believe that. He was buried uh, not too long after that. Now, the way that I prayed for that particular man, um, I don't know that there's any individual outside of my family that I've ever prayed harder for to come to know the Lord. And it just never happened for him. And I would get so frustrated in the process, and I'm asking God, guide me, lead me. Maybe it's my prayer for him that's not effective, and if that changed, et cetera. But about four or five months before he died, I just got a sense that the Lord was leading me to pray in a certain direction based on a principle of the Scriptures. And it actually was not praying so much for him any longer as it was for his wife and kids. And... After his, uh, the funeral service, um, it wasn't too terribly much longer. It was just a couple months. I would get another phone call from her. And this time she's calling. And she's in tears. And um, she's saying, uh, I just want you to know. Uh, me and her other kids in there all have just joined this church. They were not churchgoers before. And she didn't want to tell me there at the funeral because she wanted to make sure it was real and it stuck. <laughs> but she had come to Christ. She had found faith. And they had just been admitted. I, in your prayer life, you may not know how to pray. And God is going to guide you and direct you. And it doesn't mean that every single one of your prayers are going to be answered in the way that you want them to be answered. What it does mean is this, is that the Holy Spirit who loves you and who loves the Father is going to guide you and lead you and empower you to pray in ways that God is going to honor. And even though my friend Charlie never came to faith, God was honored in the pursuit that I had of him in prayer. And God's plan was to take maybe even some of those prayers on Charlie's behalf to shift them and to move them towards his wife and kids. And who knows how many generations now will follow in a personal relationship with Christ. Wildwood, pray. Pray.